This is Uncheck the Box, the podcast for women professionals and entrepreneurs who want to confidently bring their ideas to life. Here, we're creating a community for people who like to have in-depth conversations, who want to discover ways to be more present while experiencing life and communicating with others, and who want to explore new ways of cultivating joy and satisfaction as they do their life's work. Hello, welcome to Uncheck the Box. This is episode number two. My name is Ashwini and I'm here with my co-host and sister Archana and today we'll be talking about leadership. With Ruth Bader Ginsburg's passing recently, this episode is particularly meaningful to us as we've appreciated how much she's impacted women and women's equality in this country. And I know Archana, for you, being a lawyer, a female lawyer, you've been especially impacted by her work and her stature and and what she's really given to the the legal community, would you say? Yeah, I mean, everything that she's done, even more than as an attorney, it's having followed her work even before law school, just knowing how different my life would be if it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have this life. And I think that It's a time where people who don't know about her life, I think it's really important for them to go out and educate themselves and just understand why she is the legal titan that she is. And whatever snippets from her life that we can share in today's episode and just give as a tribute to her today, I think that's very important and meaningful to me to be able to do that. So today we'll be talking about just some different perspectives on leadership and how each of us can be a leader no matter what space we're in, no matter where we're at in our lives. Archana, the other day when we were talking about women in leadership and who we admire, you described all of these different aspects and nuances about leadership that you've noted. And you've mainly noted these through observation. You've been watching people, you've been studying people at different stages of life and in different industries. And what you've shared in the past is that this really comes from your work as a writer. You like to collect characters, you said. You like to understand what motivates people, what drives them. And this really lets you develop your characters and your stories really well. For me, I'm equally as interested from a behavioral aspect because I really want to understand similarly what drives people, what motivates them, but so that I can help them create more of what they want in their lives so they can become who they want to be in their lives. The other thing is that when we understand other people, we're better leaders too, because we're more able to identify what's meaningful to them. And so then we're able to more effectively communicate our ideas and be heard. The other thing that happens when we're observing other people is that we identify things that we admire. We may or may not even realize that we're doing this, but that's really what's happening, right? In part, is that we're identifying things that we admire. And what's secretly happening is that we're identifying a part of that positive quality or persona that's in ourselves too. So a while ago, I remember that when I was admiringly speaking of someone, my coach had said, you wouldn't see those qualities in them unless you saw them in yourself. So this is something I think about all the time, that when I see a positive quality in someone else, it's really me realizing that I can be that. I can be more of that. I can bring that out from within me. So this is something we'll be talking about today. But before we get there, I want to talk about this mental model called the map is not the territory. So the map is not the territory refers to the idea that we are on a terrain, we're on a landscape. And when we're there, we want to be able to capture information and share information about what we're seeing. And so the typical way that we'll do that is we'll create a map. So if you think about Google Maps on your phone, there are a number of different maps that'll 
tell you different information, right? So if you're looking at the the roadmap, you'll see the roads, you'll see other infrastructure, you'll see landmarks that are depicted, and that'll give you a certain amount of information about the the terrain. If you were to look at an aerial view, that'll give you a completely different idea of the topography and what you're what you're dealing with. And so the thing is that no matter how detailed a map is, no matter how much information is contained in it, the truth is it can't fully capture what you're actually seeing and what you're actually dealing with when you're on the ground. And so the map is a guide. It's a tool that you can use, but it's not going to tell you what is necessary and what are you going to be called to do when you're actually trying to traverse that terrain. It's funny as you mention this because the only thing that comes to mind is this one time that I was walking through Sacramento with my friends and we were glued to our phones in our Google Maps because we didn't know exactly where we were. And then finally we were like, oh, we know what this street is. And then out of the blue, this raccoon comes out of an alley and we're like, how are we going to get down this street? (laughs) So I think this is a clear depiction of the fact that your map is not your actual territory. But beyond any raccoons that you may encounter along the way, I think that this is a great way to describe leadership as well. Because when we are talking about leadership, you have a map right? We have history that we can study. We have our past personal experiences. We can learn from other stories and we can do trainings and mock settings and see how the media is representing something to learn about what good leadership is. And even in addition to a map that we might have, we also have other tools. So if you're out to traverse this landscape or this terrain, In addition to the map, you have tools like a compass or a field guide. And in the same way, when you're trying to become a better leader, you have tools like self-help books and other texts or courses that provide frameworks and skills that will help prepare us to lead. But at the end of the day, when it comes right down to it, it is what is going on in that territory that really matters. We need to know and be on the ground to know how to lead. So the work that we do to prepare to be leaders, I think, should be distinguished from what it means to actually lead. And that brings me to an example that I think about all the time from law school, which is the difference between mock trial and a real trial. And something that my friends and I always talked about is that you can't shine over the fact that a mock trial is exactly that. It's a mock trial. It's fake. It's different from a real trial because there's stakes involved because of the human interactions that you're dealing with, right? So if you have a human plaintiff or a victim and a human defendant, it means that real people are going to be affected by the outcome in that trial. It's not just about who wins or loses, like in a mock trial, but it's about the long-term effects of how lives and society will be affected, and therefore, the way that you show up in a real trial is completely different. And while preparing your knowledge and skill base in a mock trial might help you with this, being in a real trial is ultimately based on your decisions on the ground, and that means that a leading trial attorney is not necessarily the best mock trial attorney. A leading trial attorney is a leader because they're able to make decisions in real time that encompass everything that's going on with the different parties and humans that are involved. 
And so at the end of the day, leading comes from who you choose to be in the moment. And it's about being able to observe what's going on right now in the people and systems around you and making decisions in real time. And that reminds me of something that Simon Sinek had said, that empathy is at the core of good leadership and that it's a human job to take care of people. Mm -hmm. And I would say the same thing applies even in medicine. For me, during medical school, during our training, we spent years doing mock patient interviews and, and mock patient interactions. And certainly that was something that really helped us develop our physical exam skills and our interview skills and helped us uh, create systems and frameworks that we could use to to do real life encounters. But the truth of it was exactly what you said is that empathy is really the difference um, in terms of what you experience when you're in the real setting. When you see a real life human being in front of you and you see the impact that you're going to have on them because of the actions that you choose to take or not take, it really compels you to be more thoughtful about how you make a decision or about what, what you recommend. And so I think I agree, I re agree with you completely that really it's the real life interactions is where you really learn who you are and what you need to do and who you need to be in order to be a leader in your area, in your space. And so for this reason, it can be scary, right? Like, because we, we're going to be affecting real human beings here. When you're, you know, when you're leading, you have people who are depending on you, who are looking to you for guidance. And so we like to take comfort in thinking that it's been done before by using these different uh, guides, right? Whether it's these different tools that you mentioned, like the self-help books or courses, or whether it's looking at what others have done. We like to think that it's been done before and that we could just reproduce that. But the truth is that there isn't 100% certainty, and we have to get comfortable with that if we're going to lead. Yeah, I think that's a really important distinction to make, that leadership isn't a designation that's awarded to you. You're not going to rubber stamp it or, you know, go and stand in some clerk's office somewhere and say, okay, now I'm a leader, or here's a diploma, you're now a leader. It's something that's already within you, and you have to choose to let that out of yourself. So for everyone listening... Are you recognizing the leader that you are? So this brings us to talking about the women leaders who we've gotten to know, whether that's personally or through having studied their work. So the point is, you don't have to be a publicly visible figure or in a designated leadership position in order to be a leader. Yeah, I mean, in fact, with the women that we've admired, who we've known personally and had conversations with, one of the things that we've recognized in how they show up as leaders is that they recognize when to engage with people and the system that they're working in, and when to disengage or maybe even challenge the system. Yeah, so the examples I think of are, actually, I have two women in mind who I've had recent conversations with. And what really stood out for me was that as physicians who wanted to see a change in the healthcare system and in medical education, they had a certain vision and they were willing to wait when, for when the system was ready to receive change. So they were very skilled at being able to notice these signs of when the system was ready and people were ready to engage with them in discourse and 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 finding solutions. And I think that takes patience, um, that takes persistence. And I think that's sometimes hard to do. I really couldn't agree with you more. And as you mentioned all of this, it just brings to mind 
Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg for me, because everything that you've just described, the patience and the persistence and knowing when and how to engage with the system, that's what I feel like she was known for in the legal field. RBG was known for creating incremental change over time, and her goal was to create gender equality in our country. And so in doing so, she was actually facing the system that was not at all set up for her to succeed. And the thing that I love about her is that she didn't see that as something to step away from. She knew that it was a moment for her to challenge the system, but she also knew that she had to work within the system in this legal landscape to do it. And as she started litigating cases, she found the way to do that. And in her first case before the Supreme Court, the Frontiero case for any lawyers out there, she won her case. But even though she had established that a woman was being discriminated against solely due to her gender, she wasn't able to establish the standard of review that she wanted, which was that under the equal protection provisions in our Constitution, gender should be considered as a suspect class, just like race is. And although losing this part of the case was frustrating for her, I love what she did because she stepped aside and she thought, how can I present this case in a different way? And what she realized was that she needed to find a way to connect with her audience differently. And at the time, the Supreme Court was composed of nine white men. So she knew that she needed to find a way to personally appeal to white men to make them see that gender equality affects them too. And so she went out and she got herself her next plaintiff. And he was a young white man who was facing gender discrimination after his wife had passed away from giving birth. And because he was a father and not a mother... He wasn't able to collect the social security benefits that would allow him to stay home and be a caregiver for his new baby boy. And what RBG did was that she presented this case before the Supreme Court, and this time she won. And she didn't just win with a majority, she won unanimously. And she had succeeded in establishing that gender discrimination affects everyone. And after this case, she spent years presenting case after case, showing each of the particular ways in which women and men were facing gender-based discrimination in this country. And by doing this, she built up the strength of this new suspect class over time. And so for me as an attorney and as a woman, every time I hear or read her words in her arguments before the court or in her legal briefs, I just think, wow, this is incredible. And it inspires me every time to find even small ways that I can use this strategy in my own life. And I know I'm not alone in this because RBG is forever going to be remembered for creating these thoughtful strategies in the legal sphere that not only have created strong and lasting change, but also a connection among the most unlikely groups. And so, yeah, that's a great example. And I think also, though, there are instances where it, it, the a leader is called upon to challenge the system, right? Perhaps we don't want to wait, or it's not something that we can wait for. And so I think there's instances where people will need to challenge, right? I mean, definitely. And one of the people that I admire right now is Jamila Jamil. She's the actress who plays Tahani on The Good Place. Excellent show, by the way. And Jamila Jamil actually has a podcast now called I Weigh. 
And through this podcast, she's creating this incredible movement that supports mental health and takes the emphasis off of the physical appearance of women's bodies and the negative messaging and rhetoric that society and the media and the beauty industry often uses in relation to women. And so what I love about what Jamila is promoting is that it's a shift towards celebrating who we are as people and what gifts we have that we can contribute to the world. And in doing so, her strategy has often been to call out the tabloids and call out the media in every instance in which they do not support this. And that can be everything from airbrushing a picture that wasn't supposed to be to creating a false narrative around someone. And I think that this is a very strong position for her to take. And many people consider her to be extremely outspoken because of it. And I also do think that it's an area where I think she finds that we can't wait, that we have to start calling out what's going on immediately and that we can't work within the system because the type of system that's been created doesn't necessarily have room for change. It just needs to be overhauled. And so her firm stance, I think, is powerful in this setting because it gets her position out there and really challenges these industries that might be spreading harmful messages. So those are some great examples of how women have shown up in order to create change. And I think another thing that we need to think about is how do we show up and feel inside of ourselves and how we how do we regulate ourselves as leaders? So one of the things or themes that I think about is how we decide to spend our energy, whether um, it's our emotional energy, our mental energy, our physical energy. And I think that leaders who are really tuned in to what their energy level is at and how they're spending their energy resources, um, I think are particularly impactful in that way. Yeah. And as you say that, I think about all the women that I admire the most, and I recognize that they don't spend a ton of time venting about things. And it's not so much that they're not willing to give that space to be heard it's more that they don't even consider that to be worth their time because they're so focused on a particular issue. So instead of spending time worrying about how something didn't go their way or how they're frustrated, they'd almost rather spend their time focused on a cause. Like I think of Michelle Obama and how she was so focused and is still so focused on the children in this country and making sure that they are healthy and maintain a healthy lifestyle. And what it shows me is that when you have that type of focus and when you are devoting your energy to a cause like that, it creates a space where people want to join you and create those solutions. And that's what's setting her apart as a leader in that field. Yeah, so so it's it's sort of like a dual decision, right? There's the decision about what am I not going to spend my time on and my energy on? And what am I going to spend my time and energy on? And so I think leadership requires you to be very discerning about that. And it gets me thinking too, that in some rare cases, probably when you're talking about venting, these women may not find the need to complain and vent, not just because they don't want to spend their time and energy on that, but also perhaps because they don't even see that other people's differing opinions are actually barriers. They might not see that those are obstacles at all. They might actually see those just that they exist, you know, that they are for they are what they are, and that these leaders, these women, see solutions despite them. Another way that I've seen leaders show up is that they're willing to exhibit vulnerability and their humanness in order to relate to people and to make connections. 
And this can be a really challenging thing. It can take some personal evolution to be willing to show some vulnerability, um, especially in intimate relationships or in the workplace setting, anywhere where there's something at stake, right? Whether you have a, a relationship or a reputation at stake, it can be really hard because we, on a deeper level, want to maintain that social approval. We want to maintain that that security of that social network that we have. Um, and so a leader who's able to be vulnerable and, 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 and create connection through that vulnerability is brave and can create change and, and impact in ways that I think someone who doesn't choose to do that can't. Yeah. So as I think about the legal field and how it is male dominated right now, something that I've noticed is that many of the people that we look to as leaders in that field might be men, just with the nature of how the field has developed. But the thing is, is that if you find women who are leaders in that field, I think the thing that sets them apart is that they are vulnerable. And part of that vulnerability is what attracts men and women to them because it enhances how they connect with you as a person. And that in turn, ends up making you a better attorney because you feel comfortable in order to share with them. And they then are able to help guide you and make you find ways that you can improve your legal skills. And I think that this must apply in any professional setting. Yeah, I, I think I think for sure. Similar to vulnerability, I also think that women who have a feminine or a nurturing quality which is often looked down upon in certain social or professional situations, when they don't apologize for those qualities, when they actually use them and harness those strengths of those qualities, it makes them particularly impactful as leaders as well. And so I think it's important that whether it's vulnerability or any other quality that you have that is unique to you, that maybe others have typically looked down upon, I think it's important to be able to see the strengths in the qualities that you have. Something that I think about when you bring this up, it's kind of tangentially related, is the idea of diversity hires. And so I was just thinking about Mindy Kaling and how when she was 24 years old, she was hired as a writer on The Office. And at that point in time, it was unheard of to see, you know, a woman of color and that young as a writer with some of these huge comedians like Steve Carell, right? And the thing that I love about her is that she showed up in that space and she didn't shy away from contributing her ideas or she didn't step away from the opportunity to actually take on the smaller acting roles and cameos on the show. And because she didn't shy away from that and she didn't shy away from her femininity in and how that influenced her humor, I feel that's what made her successful and allowed her ultimately to gain a stronger presence on the office and then later on to actually create her own production company and start the Mindy Project and some of the other shows that she's worked on and other movies and what have you. I think it's so incredible to see a woman in that space really using all of her strengths and part of that strength being just the fact that she's a woman and her view on the world to actually step into becoming a leader. So Archana, when you described all these women who've demonstrated different qualities or strengths or approaches to leadership and getting their message out, I think it's important to note that it's not about whether they were quiet or working in the background or whether they're outspoken or more extroverted. 
you know, there's there's so many different strategies that can be effective, and, and you can tell that these are all different approaches. But the key is that they were all doing it with respect. They were sticking with the facts. They weren't argumentative because we know that that won't work. And so I think that when you keep these principles in mind, you know, you're going to be effective regardless of the style you choose. And you have to pick what works for you. I think what we've been talking about and what we think makes certain leaders more impactful is that they're able to create a space for discourse where everyone can share their opinions and contribute to the solution. And so going back to what we said at the beginning of this episode, being a leader is already within you. And the qualities that you need to be a leader are already within you. And it's up to you to decide which qualities you want to bring out and when in order to guide the people in your life towards the change that you want to see in the world. So for everyone listening, I want you to think about the various roles that you have in your life. Whether you're single or in a relationship, whether you're a parent or not, whether you're working outside of the home or within the home, or whether you're a creator who's exploring the world, I want you to think about all of the roles that you hold. And then I want you to go back to that model of the map is not the territory and answer for yourself, What is the map and what are the tools that you've been using to shape your concept of what a leader is? Then, based on what you've learned, do you currently consider yourself a leader? If so, then I want you to ask yourself, is there any way that you'd want to reinvent how you're showing up as a leader? If you don't see yourself as a leader, take one step on the ground in your everyday life to see the impact that you're already making. See that you're creating change in the world and that you do have an influence, whether this means showing someone you care, bringing an injustice to someone's attention, being an example to someone, maybe a child. Start noticing that you have the ability to choose how you show up and influence in all of the roles in your life. Start paying attention to the qualities that you admire in others who are leading by example and realize that you have those qualities within you too. The question is, how will you use them as you approach the landscape of leadership? We want to thank you for listening to this episode of Uncheck the Box. We're so happy to have you be part of our community. To those of you that have reached out to connect with us, we're appreciative of your kind words, and we want to let you know that that's what helps us grow and create even more content for you. That's why we're encouraging you to please leave us a rating and a written review in the Apple Podcasts app. All you have to do is scroll down on our show page and tap the stars to rate and the words write review to review. As a quick reminder, this show provides general educational information and entertainment and is not legal or medical advice. For more information, please check the link in our show notes for our full disclaimer. If you have questions about today's show or want to start a conversation, email us at utvconnect at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at uncheckthebox. Forming meaningful connections is something extremely important to both Ashwini and I, and we do respond to everyone who contacts us. Until the next one, thanks for listening.